I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? This is Theology Unplugged. I am Michael Patton. Welcome, folks. Tim, Sam. Welcome, welcome. Glad to be here. Welcome to the studio. <laughs> Greetings. The Theology Unplugged studio in the back of the Credo House. That's right. That serves a dual purpose as an office as well. That's right. We've got a pretty good setup here, though, don't we? Oh, man. We are so blessed in the Credo House. It's unbelievable. So thank you so much for every one of you who made this venue possible. And we've uh, we've been getting full use of it. We even had to take chairs out of the women's bathroom this week because we had so many people in here that we had no seats uh, for everybody. And so uh, this has just been We have a chairs great in week. the women's bathroom? Yeah, I didn't even know. I was like, where in the world did this fancy chair come from? And <laughs> Carrie was like, oh, that's always been in the women's restroom. You don't know that? And I was like, there are chairs in the women's restroom? There's no chairs is, in the guys' is, bathroom. Well, it's not necessary because there's all, always only one guy in there at one time. I guess it's like you go into the women's bathroom that serves multiple. Well, guys' bathroom serves one purpose. Women's yeah. bathroom serves multiple It's purpose. like a communal uh, so, like place where people gather to socialize. <laughs> the overflow I mean, room. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just don't understand it. I'm I'm speechless when uh, when considering that. But yes, we do have a, a very uh, a very wonderful location here. We don't need a chair for the men's bathroom, though, right? Because there's not going to be multiple men in the men's bathroom. Nor would you want to congregate and just hang out in there either. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was wanting to sit in there and talk to you for a little bit the other day, but you know, you want to let me in, and I had some really important godly things to talk about, an idea, and I lost them. Yeah. Without the chair, which is totally fine with me. <laughs> If the Lord really wants you to know that, he'll communicate it to you some other time Are you guys as well. sure that our listeners want to hear this conversation? I don't Pro- probably oh, not. Know. The power of the edit. If you want, you can scrub forward to about two minutes in the broadcast. We'll and I'm sure we'll be sure done with we'll the chair conversation here in a little bit. <laughs> um, Tim, do we have anything, announcements or anything that are coming up immediately for our listeners? Oh, man. Well, we are fast and furious doing all sorts of crazy stuff at the Credo House, but I think it's all secretive laboratory type stuff right now. Not Behind la- not, the scenes. Not laboratory, but laboratory type stuff, yeah, <laughs> that I think we'll probably communicate in subsequent pro- Speaking uh, of the chair, podcast. I had a dream last night that George Strait was here. Really? The chair, the song, the chair. One of his greatest songs. You guys probably don't even know, do you? I know. I know who George Strait is, but I don't know that song. Uh, he so, was here so. using the venue as a as a place to rock out. Was he playing that song? Um, no, I forgot what he played. But during the dream, I remember thinking, "I got to get my album out and listen to that." Yeah. Is there such thing as albums? Uh, yeah. Album? Yeah. Do we yeah. still call them albums? Yeah, in in the iTunes store, it's called "Purchase This Album." Okay, so good. It's good. digital, but it's an album nonetheless. Well, uh, having nothing to do with chair, George Strait, bathrooms, or anything like that, we do have a new topic that we are starting here today. That's right. And yeah. Sam is stretching right now. <laughs> I think this is going to be an interesting series that we're starting here. <laughs> he has uh, mentioned that he's going to uh, bring down some... Uh, Curses maybe on our heads or something. No, sure. it's because I'm old. Okay. <laughs> I'm old. Okay. Well, we're going to be starting a series called, and I think this is what it's called. What do you guys think? Why I am slash not charismatic. Yeah, I think, it's a, great, I think it's a great title. I did a blog post, uh, it was, gosh, a year and a half ago. It was a series probably of about eight or nine blogs on why I am not charismatic. Yeah. And just explaining to people 
what I felt charismatic meant, what I felt being charismatic was, and why I do not consider myself a charismatic. It was a really popular post, uh, mm-hmm. one that was read quite a bit. I don't think that there's that much these days. It seems like in the early 90s, late 80s, there was quite a bit of stuff that was coming out all the time about this issue, but I haven't seen anything in a long time. Uh, discussing it from a standpoint of, uh, you know, here, let's try to figure out what the issue is and let's try to figure out what the sides on the um, issue are. Yeah. And so that is the reason why we felt like that this would be a good one. I yeah, mean, well, obviously, I'm not charismatic. Tim's not charismatic. And I don't even know what, what whenever we talk about you, Sam, if charismatic fits. Depends on how you define the term, so <laughs> which, we'll, we'll which, which is what we will be doing. Yes. Yeah, and and I think that this is great because all three of us love each other. All three of us have similar background and training. Uh, all three of us uh, love Christ. Uh, we recognize the enemy as Satan and our flesh, and not each other. And so, uh, you know, I think this will be a great conversation because I think what hopefully this will show is how Christians who love each other can agree on the essentials and how you can discuss non essentials and how you can uh, possibly disagree or instruct each other and just, uh, you know, I'm hoping this will be a model discussion, not just on the subject matter and the content of what we're discussing, but how we're discussing it as well. Well, <clears throat> But I don't know for Sam, and we do have boxing gloves in my office that Michael and you, I were you do, boxing. Don't you? Yeah, we were yeah. boxing earlier this week, and so, uh, you know, if we need to bring them out, we will, and I guess it'll be an example on how to fight as well as Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. Sam, you graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. I graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. Not that we're trying to pack the house with Dallas Theological Seminary folks here on uh, Theology Unplugged, but it just happens to be. Yeah. But me, Sam, me and Tim stayed faithful. <laughs> well, so many ways. I feel like you're you're putting too much on me on uh, some of you know okay. putting me too much in the corner. But you know, I'll I'll have you guys be on like both sides, and then uh, then maybe I'll keep some of my things to myself. All right, I won't paint your picture, but Sam is you've got you're getting ready to publish a book on eschatology, right? Eventually. And <laughs> is this like a spoiler alert? Did you just let the cat out of the bag? I don't know. Do we want to edit that out? No, no, that's fine. I, no, all advanced pre-publicity that I can get, I'll take. Uh, <laughs> on eschatology, and it's not going to be the typical Dallas Theological Seminary no, eschatology. No, it's not. Right? Sam claims that everybody goes to heaven and there is no hell. Oh, man. That's, that's typical, but not yeah. typical. Uh, you should see his commercial he just put together. It's pretty, pretty uh, edgy. Well, good. That's exciting news to yeah, hear. Sam's the, got his hair spiked up. and. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, known as a bastion for premillennialism, pre-tribulationalism. Um, I'd say that I'm still both of those, uh, one more strongly than another. Uh, it, but isn't Dallas Seminary, hasn't it been known kind of as the, I, I don't know if you'd say, non-charismatic more than you would say a secessionist which means basically the same thing you believe that the supernatural sign gifts have ceased and hasn't dallas seminary always been known for that yes yeah it's been a part of the dallas seminary statement of faith from its inception is it a part of the statement of faith yes it's part of what the students have to sign as well yes Huh. Is it the students or just the faculty? Because the lists are 
Well, I, I don't know how it is today. Degree. I know that when I graduated in 1977, we had to sign the statement saying we were in general agreement with it and any specific areas of disagreement, we had to list them. And then the faculty commit, uh, basically the faculty determined whether or not the areas of disagreement were sufficient to um, hold up somebody's graduation or not. When I graduated from Dallas Seminary, I was a strong cessationist. Mm. Um, I was for the next about 10 or 11 years. So that wasn't an issue for me while I was at Dallas. My eschatology was already in process of changing, but uh, my view of the Holy Spirit was still pretty much party line in mm. terms of what the seminary taught. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure today that the students do not have to agree yeah. to that, but the faculty members do. Yeah, it's much I'm more flexible. Sure. I've talked to students uh, who came from overtly Pentecostal backgrounds who were admitted. Back in my day, you would not even be uh, granted admission, much less your diploma. But now um, I, I think they're much more flexible and they recognize a, you know, a spectrum of views. And still, the seminary, I think, is officially and formally um, non-charismatic, cessationist, but they do allow students who differ on that to... Uh, Matriculate. Yeah, I, I think the school is not, uh, you know, they do have, I know when I was there, there were 53 denominations there that were being represented. And so, you know, I, I think that the school does hold strongly to the essentials and teaches them very well. I would go back there if I had to choose over again. Yeah, we're not, um, not going to jump all over the seminary no, or anything. No, but I mean, I think that definitely, probably at least uh, uh, 20 years ago, for sure, I think the seminary was, was a bit more um, strong in its stances on some of these issues that we'd say non-essential as they are today. Well, let me, let me bring up a, a related point here when we talk about the issue of charismatic continuationism uh, this this whole area that we're bringing up, it seems to be in the last twenty years, yeah. uh, since you know around the mid nineties, that you have a lot more evangelicals that you would say are very respected evangelicals, very scholarly evangelicals. Uh, they're not lightweights in any way mm-hmm. that are charismatic now. Yeah, which uh, you know was the first thing that whenever I began, you know, really looking into this myself and the. Uh, maybe it was mid '90s. That was a little bit harder time, but around the turn of the century, I began to see all of these evangelicals out there, including Sam, that were respected and I liked. And you know, I used to not be able to like charismatics. I mean, I used to really go through the bookstores. And if I was going to buy a Christian book, I would try to find a section anywhere that they would talk about this issue and see if they talked about it. Mm. And if they were charismatic, I wouldn't buy it. Yeah. Because I just felt like that they weren't of the caliber that is able to deal with the biblical text or deal with church history or just not in the know. They were more experiential rather than more scholarly. But... And then these guys like Sam Storms come along and mess everything up, huh? Having yeah, like I mean, let me, let me name a few of them that have like... kind of been flies in my <laughs> ointment. Besides you, you're a fly in my ointment, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> in a non-essential way, right? Yeah, in a non-essential and, way. And real quick, too, this is – so we're doing a podcast series. We have been talking. Is Are we are we for sure – you know, this is unplugged. Are we for sure going to also have a, a written – back and forth going on through our blog as well. I'll try to get something done this weekend and okay. put, you know, kind of the first deal out there that may be a summary of what we talk about here today and yeah. then, you know, Sam can respond to that. 
Sure. Okay, so so just so our listeners know as well, what we're planning on doing, this is just a totally introductory, we're just kicking it off uh, with this uh, broadcast, but then we're going to plan on discussing this through Theology Unplugged, but then also having a more well-written, um, just thought through, maybe can... Are you saying this is exp- not thought through? It's not. It's unplugged. So, you know, you're not you're not opening all the sources and quoting original sources and stuff like that probably mm-hmm. as much because they aren't as on the top of your, your head type thing. But um, but then the blog will be an additional place. So so stay tuned to the blog as well, because the, the series will be interacting there as well. Now, Sam, you may be able to say something different than me on this. But like I said, back 10, 20 years ago, I couldn't really find anybody that I would say is well respected in the. I, I don't know just how to put it, but just in a well-respected in the evangelical community that was charismatic. But now you've got Sam Storms, uh, depending upon how we define it. <laughs> yeah. uh, Craig Keener, who mm-hmm. is someone that was another big fly in my argument because I loved his book on Matthew. And, you know, in the end, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy's charismatic. How could he know so much and be charismatic? Yeah. Uh, Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem, a big deal, who we use as our primary textbook. Uh, yeah, we think we're, program. like, keeping him in business because we go through his books a lot. Not like he's selling tens of thousands outside of us, too. But, I'm you sure know. he'd be all right without us. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> he would probably be okay. Yeah. Um, C.J. Mahaney. C.J. Mahaney. Yeah. He, he would be another one. Um, John Piper. Uh, J.P. Moreland. J.P. Moreland. Mark Driscoll. Mm-hmm. Jack Deere. Was Doug Guyvet, or is that on the uh, egalitarian side? Uh, I don't know what he would embrace. I think he's on the egalitarian side. Yeah. So, so Kla- Klaus Isler, who teaches with J.P. at Talbot, who's mm-hmm. also a Dallas Seminary graduate. The mm-hmm. Apostle Paul. Yes, very good. <laughs> Appreciate that uh, plug. <laughs> hey, I'll plug Paul for charismatic as well. I mean, it's, <laughs> but what uh, Sam is the perception the same for you? Like thinking back to whenever you were not a charismatic, mm-hmm. the perception of those who were charismatic has it changed? I mean, obviously it has changed some because you have changed your position, mm-hmm. but has it changed as far as? the broader community, evangelicalism out there, or is that just me? No, I think there have been some changes. Uh, The fact of the matter is, again, getting back to our definition of the term, there is a spectrum of beliefs uh, that we might include under the the overarching title charismatic or continuationist in the sense that people who believe that all spiritual gifts continue um, beyond the first century and even into the present day. Um, you, you were talking about evangelicals who um, who would now classify themselves as charismatic. Uh, back in the mid '80s and on, those people were typically referred to as the third wave mm-hmm. uh, to differentiate them from more traditional charismatics and certainly from the classical Pentecostals. The argument was that the first wave of the Holy Spirit came about at the turn of the previous century with the uh, Azusa Street Revival and the Pentecostal uh, denominations such as the Assemblies of God that were birthed out of it. And then the second wave of the Holy Spirit uh, was typically when the uh, these experiences and the practice of these gifts spilled out into mainline denominations. No longer was it simply the Church of God or the Assemblies of God or the Pentecostal holiness movement, but Southern Baptists and Episcopalians and Methodists and Presbyterians began to um, 
believe in and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. That was the second wave. Um, and so, so can we say like the first wave was really kind of these new groups and new movements being started, but then the second wave was uh, the these concepts being going into all of the other denominations. Yeah. So Roman Catholics had a, mm-hmm. have that right. wave. You know, Southern Baptists had that wave. So no longer was it attached to a denomination. Right. Now it was in every denomination. And it birthed what we call the independent charismatic movement, where you mm-hmm. have churches that are not denominationally affiliated, but they are very um, uh, overtly charismatic in their beliefs and their practice. And then the third wave was a term, uh, I think C. Peter Wagner actually coined the phrase, uh, was used to describe mainstream evangelicals whose theology remained pretty much the same in every other respect, uh, but who rejected cessationism and embraced the continuation of all the gifts. So um, they might be in a mainline denomination, they might be in an independent Bible church, um, but they didn't embrace all of the distinctives of the charismatic world, nor did they embrace the distinctives of classical Pentecostalism. Uh, Basically what they simply said is, we believe all the gifts are operative today. And so for those who are saying, what are you talking about, gifts, you know, might, might have just turned on Theology Unplugged, just been directed to our, our podcast, say, okay, I don't really know what charismatic is, I don't really know what you mean when you say cessationist or or the supernatural gifts and things like that, and basically just at a super high level, what we're talking about is for uh, throughout the Bible, we we see very clearly through Paul, through the book of Acts, we see um, very clearly that when people become believers in Christ, they are given spiritual gifts. And there are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to people. And this is a little oversimplification because we'll be going into other areas uh, that, that relate to uh, this charismatic idea. But really what it is, is in the New Testament, we see gifts like prophecy, gifts like healing, uh, gifts that are given to people of speaking in tongues, and that there was a what the discussion really is is does the Holy Spirit still give those gifts to people today? Um, and and that that's an oversimplification in some ways, but when we say cessationists, what we're saying is ceased. So those people who are believing that those gifts were for the first century, basically, during the Bible time, and they have ceased since then. For someone who says something like charismatic or continuationist, what they're saying is that they're believing that those gifts have continued to today. And now, and maybe in this first, second, third wave, they're coming back. So maybe they were, they were not used as much or were lost for a time or the Spirit wasn't using them for a time or whatever, and we can get into that discussion more. But I just wanted to kind of give a high overview for someone who's, who's just feels like they're lost in the weeds right now is that we're speaking mainly about, would you say, healing, prophecy, speaking in tongues uh, as as the gifts that are usually pointed to to say, do you believe in your church that the Spirit is, is giving those gifts to people today? Yeah, I think that's, that's helpful to narrow it down because uh, I don't anticipate that our discussion will venture into the, uh, for example, the Word of Faith movement. Mm-hmm. or the uh, prosperity gospel. But it will need to venture into that because a lot of our listeners will automatically associate whatever it is we're talking about. If we say the word charismatic, that's where they go. That's why we need to differentiate right from the beginning. When, exactly. when I use the word, again, let's define the word charismatic. Uh, perhaps the word continuationist is more helpful because it does narrow the focus down to the issue 
of the charismata, which is the, simply the transliteration for the Greek word for spiritual gifts. Um, so the issue, I, th- I think, is the question of the perpetuity or the contemporary validity of the gifts of the Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, um, Ephesians 4. Uh, we're not talking about the legitimacy uh, or illegitimacy of the Word of Faith movement. Because I do not embrace the Word of Faith movement. I would never um, um, want to be associated with that wing, that branch, as it were, along the spectrum of continuationists. Give us just three sentences on what that is, if someone doesn't know what that movement is. Well, it goes by any number of names. It used to be rather derogatory, in a derogatory way, called the Name It and Claim It movement. It's Mm -hmm. the idea that um, if you can... Um, muster up confidence or faith or belief in some reality that uh, it will come to pass, that faith itself in the human heart has a power to create its own universe, its own reality, its own world. Um, And thus, whether it's healing or prosperity financially or physically or Uh, success in other arenas of life or victory over some particular sin, that simply um, being able to, in a sense, banish doubt from your mind and confidently name and claim what you believe God has already guaranteed, then it will necessarily come to pass. Mm. Um, That version of the Word of Faith um, um, gospel, uh, people call it the Word of Faith gospel. I don't think it's a gospel. I think it's bad news, not good news because it's unbiblical. That is one extreme within the so-called charismatic world, as is also the prosperity gospel, that God wants all of his children to live uh, in financial wealth, or the the uh, health and wealth gospel, that um, complete physical healing is something that was obtained in the atonement, that God has already done everything he will ever do, and whether or not you are healed is a matter of whether you can believe it, name it, claim it, stand in it, affirm it, and so on. Those elements within the the charismatic world, I assume, are not the focus of our discussion. No, no. Because that's not what I – if somebody asks me, am I charismatic, and they're thinking um, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, uh, I'm saying no, I'm not, and have no desire to be associated in any way with that version of the Christian faith. And I think it comes down to when we're talking about this, and it's very good that we distinguish this, and this is one of the things that I do hope to accomplish with this, is at least people leave here being able to see the differences here. But when we use the term charismatic, we use it in a lot of different re- ways. You know, yeah. We use it in a, in a regular secular way as well. When we say this speaker, this politician is very charismatic, you know, we talk about his energy level, his excitement, his ability to move an audience, right? Right. And, and in a very real sense, you know, that, that's a legitimate use of the term, but you can go across the spectrum of this use of the word, and like, I went to a charismatic undergraduate school. This is where my turn began to happen, where I wasn't so antagonistic against it, because at this school, there were some very good people that I felt like were wonderful teachers who loved the Lord, who uh, spoke in tongues, which I automatically equated at this time, if you spoke in tongues, you were demon-possessed. I really did. I mean, I I could argue it out. I could line it out, and I'm sure that uh, you know the the hardcore um, 
anti-charismatics out there have same, uh, some of the same thoughts that I did. But as I went to the school and as everybody there at the school, literally, and I'm not kidding, every single student at the school besides me spoke in tongues. Mm-hmm. Every single one. And they elected me student council president. Nice. <laughs> so maybe you were the demonized one. Like, yeah, yeah, like, what is going on here? So you weren't charismatic, but you had such a charismatic personality that you became the student body president. Is but, that right? but I couldn't distinguish still between what it meant to be charismatic and what it meant to be a continuationist. And I'm not saying we have to distinguish that, but what I'm saying is this. It was a charismatic type school. So what did they do? Well, of course they continued the tongues, but what else did they do? Well, we had all kinds of things that happened. I mean, we had a weekly prophecy, a prophet who came to our our chapel and would prophesy over everybody. And part of the charismatic aura, you know, here's what we're thinking. What does it look like to be in a charismatic situation? Well, everybody's crying and everybody's, you know, um, um, really excited about this. That kind of scared me at that point. Then we also had classes where we interpreted dreams. Well, is that part of what charismatic is, learning how to interpret dreams? Um, We also had everybody who raised their hands, just to say something, you know, very mundane. They raised their hand during worship. And so sometimes we think, oh, that guy's charismatic if he comes in here and he's raising his hand. By the way, Michael was raising his hands when he said that. I just want you all who can't see the program. (laughs) During worship, he had his hand. (laughs) It wasn't just to give us all a high five. No, it wasn't. But that's the idea that sometimes people associate. If you raise your hands during worship, you are charismatic. Um, If you expect God to heal someone, you're charismatic. Or or have more hope. You know, whenever you you pray for someone, you're charismatic. Whenever you talk about, uh, and I'm just going to broad spectrum here, whenever you interpret dreams, you're charismatic. Whenever you think that there's a possibility that someone has a demon, you're charismatic. How about if you just believe God can do miracles today? If you you are hoping for miracles sometimes, you're charismatic. And so a lot of people will just kind of lump every bit of this together, and any part of this creates a charismatic person. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we're saying here, right? Right. No. Yeah. Well, cause, and some charismatics might have the wrongful view that people who, who are cessationists don't believe that the Spirit is actually working today in the world and things like that. And that's uh, that's not true uh, in any way as well. You know, many cessationists fully believe that the Spirit is working, that the, the miraculous things are happening all the time, and uh, that God is just as supernatural today as he was in the first century. Let's try then, before this broadcast, this first broadcast is over, to come to some type of uh, for the sake of our audience and for the sake of our discussion, um, statement upon what charismatic is. Now, I'm going to make a statement here, Sam, and see if you agree with me. And I did this uh, during the uh, Why I'm Not Charismatic. Whenever I think of being charismatic, here's what I think of. Now, I think, uh, or continuationist, and I do like the word continuationist better because it distinguishes it at first from all those other things that you might pile in there. But since we're naming this why I'm not charismatic, here's what I think of. Um, Whenever you believe that the, and I'm going to use this term, and you're not going to like it, and we'll have to discuss it, the supernatural sign gifts that are spoken of by Paul in the New Testament specifically, or uh, most specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, are not only operative today, but normative, these are the key words, operative, normative, and should be pursued. 
Or a, would you even go far as to say a sign of Christian maturity? No, I want to say that. Okay, okay. Uh, because I don't, I don't. Too edgy. Yeah, I, I just I think that that's throwing in there some of those uh, uh, extracurricular definitions that I think, in my mind, misrepresent. And I'm yeah. actually trying to represent here yeah. what I really feel like charismatic. But you is. will say should be pursued. Should be pursued. Okay. Should be pursued. Normative, operative, normative, and. If you just have an operative and normative, I don't think you've gotten there. Because I think that part of being charismatic is that you are encouraging people. You are encouraging your church. You are encouraging them based upon these gifts that are still available to pursue them. Not as if they can come to them themselves or give them themselves uh, on their own, but that they should hope for them in the church, in the community. Mm-hmm. And we should, in the church, hope for them. And for our children as well. Local congregation, we need to have people that have all of the gifts in order to be fully functional. What do you think of that? Well, you're right. There are a couple of things I would take issue with. I don't believe in referring to uh, sign gifts. I believe there are signs and wonders on the one hand, but I think spiritual gifts, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12, function in multiple ways beyond uh, signifying anything. They're not designed to attest to anything. They're designed to edify and build up the body. But we can get into that later on. Um, Operative today, yes. You use the word normative. I wouldn't. I would use the word normal. Um, I would say that the operation of these so-called supernatural gifts should be normal in the body of Christ. But to say they're normative has the idea that everybody is supposed to function at the same level in all the same gifts. It's, it kind of goes along with the idea that everybody should speak in tongues. Um, I don't believe that that is true. I think these gifts are normal in the sense that they uh, that God desires for them to function in the uh, the regular um, um, experience of the life of the body of Christ to be a in the same sense that preaching the Word of God is normal and generous giving with our finances is normal. Um, normative sounds a little bit too um, legislative to me. It's like you're saying everybody has to do it in the same way and have the same gifts, and that's why I'm a little hesitant about the word normative. So what you're saying is that all gifts are supernatural because they're all from a supernatural yes. God, right? And so the gift of generosity or of yeah. any of those things are supernatural. Gift of teaching is a supernatural yeah. thing. because some not of them are God. more overtly uh, miraculous in the sense that it, it, uh, in, in the way that it is perceived, like a, prophetic, a prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, for me to open up the Bible right now and to teach from the written word does not strike most people as being miraculous or or supernatural. I understand that. I wouldn't describe it that way. But if I were suddenly to get a a revelatory insight into some secret sin in your life that nobody could have known other than God, and he told it to me, and I'm now sharing it with you, people would say, wow, that's miraculous. That's more supernatural. Um, But I'm saying that prophecy, no less so than teaching, is normal for the church today. So what you're saying is that someone in the church should be expecting that, so it shouldn't surprise yes. you know, you should you should be surprised by just God's grace and speaking supernaturally into our world, but it should be just as normal in our life to hear uh, something like prophecy as we hear something like uh, like teaching. Yes. Okay. And I would agree with your last word. I think the pursuit is essential. I think that is 
that's more critical than, than most people understand because there are people who are continuationists. In other words, theologically, they believe that all the gifts continue, but they don't pursue them and they don't practice them. So they're, in a sense, they're practicing cessationists, but they're theologically charismatic. Uh, and there are a lot of people like that. I, Don Carson is a good example. Well, probably the, the leading evangelical New Testament scholar in the world today is a continuationist, but he's not a practicing charismatic. Uh, so there are a lot of people who would fall into that category. So, yeah, I like it. Uh, I don't like the idea of sign gifts. We can talk about that later. Operative, yes. Normal, yes. To be pursued, yes. I would agree with that. So I think this is good to to have a, a, a statement that will be our definition that we'll work from. But then I think we're going to end, and this will probably be the next broadcast, perhaps I'll, I'll suggest that the next broadcast could be us agreeing on a way that we need to walk through this discussion. You know, I mean, because I think we're going to have to deal with... A, You're acting too much as a moderator. You're expecting a fight. No, I'm not. No, I'm just thinking like it's it, we can be all over the map with this. But I think if we're disciplined to say we're going to have to cover church history, we're going to have to say, where was this in church history? Was the spirit doing this for the last 2000 years? You're not the spirit move at all in this. You're no, so I am. Non-charismatic. I'm no, over by Sam. Dude, the spirit is moving right now as I'm speaking just because I'm, <laughs> he's got you the know, boxing gloves under the table. So, when, so when Jeremiah okay. wrote, you know, we see all throughout scripture that it's good to be disciplined and structured and you can still have the spirit moving you. But, you know, we're going to have to look at the text. We're going to have to look at the terms. You know, what does glossolia mean? And, and we're going to have to look at church history. We're going to have to then go into uh, you know the the modern movements and and how that looks and then how do church practice looks and what I'm wondering is if if it'd be good for us to list the areas where we're going to have to discuss these things uh, so that uh, we have kind of a roadmap uh, we can still be unplugged but we can have a roadmap to say okay this week what we're what we're discussing is uh, you know has the spirit always been doing this in the church for the last 2000 years uh, then you know do we agree that that the terms mean uh, like i mean we got to say does speaking in tongues mean just speaking another language like i'm speaking french and i don't know french but it's for a french person or is this some ecstatic speech that i don't know yeah and that's pivotal you know? i think i and mean so, before you move on we've got to define some of these terms cuz I, I find so often when we do define them then all of a sudden we're really saying the same thing in different ways. Well, and I think it'd be good to say, you know, if we come up with 10, 10 points of discussion that we need to have, that each of them will probably be its own broadcast, then we can kind of say, okay, we actually agree on one, we disagree on two, we agree on three and four, disagree on five slightly, uh, you know, kind of agree on six and can start Well, I'm going to let you run a, with that, okay? Having an yeah, idea. We'll, we'll run with that for a little bit next time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I we'll, mean, we're uh, running out of time for this broadcast, and next time we'll talk about defining our way, the way we're going. But I also want to talk to you, Sam, and say, how did you get where you're at? What is the process there? Okay, folks, uh, appreciate you joining us, and we'll uh, uh, talk to you next week. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. 
Thank you for listening, and God bless.